one that's very interesting is uh, neuroticism. It's one of the big five. Yeah. And that one for me in relationships, it's, it's like impossible for me to be with somebody that's extremely high in neuroticism right. because they're going to be worrying about the past, present and future all the time. And I'm also like one percentile. So in a room of 100 people, I'm the least worried person about everything. Knowing that it's like if I'm, if I'm going to catch a flight, like I'm not worried about much. I'm going to get on the flight like I always do. But being around highly neurotic people, it's like we have to get there four hours in advance. What if the whole world melts down? What if there's a forest fire? Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I have just uh, an amazing leader. He is, uh, I think, 31 or 32. He's just made incredible progress in our program. Since our program, he's already a millionaire. He's just about to launch a $2 million real estate project, uh, I found out about. And he was on our podcast uh, April 2019. And so four and a half years later, we had him, we had him come back um, and just share a bunch of the progress that he's made. And one of the big things that he's done over the last you know 10 to 15 years he's he's basically written a book um, a big part of writing the book was just learning all sorts of things about personal development and really really becoming as wise as possible really understanding things really really thoroughly and the book's called the waking read it it's it's amazing and we we basically spent a bunch of time talking about just best practices and the things that we think will impact our audience I think you're going to love it. I think he, the, the things that Michael talked about are really, really going to make sense uh, for you about taking the best, the best steps possible in your 20s to have the, the life that you desire, the life of your dreams. And you know why we're doing this. We're just getting started in our recruiting season and we're looking for amazing students. So if you know of any amazing leaders, please send them our way, studentworks.com. You can send this podcast. You can shoot me an email at cthompson at studentworks.com. Thanks so much. Have a super fantastic day. Cheers. Michael Davidson, welcome back to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me on. I am super psyched. Uh, so uh, obviously we stay connected. Michael's one of our core speakers that comes out to Ottawa every year to, uh, to address our team. So, you know, again, thanks for your continuing support. Michael was the 27th um, podcast. Uh, we had him on as a guest April 2nd, 2019. So that's over four and a half years uh, ago. So, so why don't you share and just, you know, what's been going on in Michael Davidson's life? A lot of stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah. A lot of stuff. This week is actually one of the biggest weeks of my life in terms awesome. of things happening. Me and my wife, we just got over a million dollar loan approved for a $2 million development project happening starting wow. in a month. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I just sold a cottage and made about one hundred ninety thousand uh, dollar profit, which is pretty fun. So you and sold the cottage because I know that was something you really loved. So, so because uh, th yeah. that seemed to be where you were living. I'm still living here, and okay. uh, while we're building the new place, we're going to be living here. So I leased back. So I basically signed and gave the guy a guarantee on his money for his basically his mortgage payments for the next year. I said, "Look, I'll cover your mortgage. I'll cover the costs, and I like staying here." 
but okay. I want my equity out. So I got okay. a bunch of cash. I put a bit of down payment down. So I'm getting like a $300,000 check coming up in uh, probably in the next three days, which is nice. Um, we're heading down to Burning Man, which is a, a really yes. large festival. That's uh, my wife and I are planning to have kids next summer. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, we want to have like one last party before we kind of settle down into the, the family role. Yeah. And we just bought a $28,000 camper van that got converted. Great price. It has 66,000 kilometers on it. So we'll be taking a four-week trip across to the Nevada desert, partying there. Going to see a bunch of stuff on the way there across USA. Then we're going to our friend, uh, another operator, Matt Andrews, uh, Andrews wedding. wedding. I'll yes. be a best man at his wedding. And then we're going to be driving across Canada on the way back. So we're going to have four weeks of an epic adventure, living life. I'm bringing my Starlink satellite. So uh, I'm going to activate the roam mode. So I'll be working from all the amazing provincial parks and mountaintops across Canada. And uh, a lot of other stuff going on. I'm, I'm potentially selling my, my car as well. And... Um, just tons of stuff happening this week, and I'm super excited. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, that's uh, well, that's fantastic. Um, you know, just I know something that you've always been really committed to is personal development, right? Uh, like my sense is that's a personal development uh, journey, totally. not just a party. So why don't, why don't you describe what Burning Man is for 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 people who haven't heard of it? Yeah, so it's been going on for several decades. The idea was that people in San Francisco just burned down a wooden structure of a man. And then it became uh, basically a cultural icon because it started more people started showing up. And there was these basic rules in place around let's make sure that we leave the place with no trace. So we're not going to leave garbage around. Right. Um, we're going to have a very intentional setting. Everyone's going to pretty much come in and we're going to set up these camps and we're going to offer these services. So people can do share art, music. Um, there's nothing to sell. So you can't sell anything or buy anything. It's all gifting. Okay. So you come into this beautiful environment that's there for about nine days. It pops up in the middle of a desert. And there's 65,000 people that show up for these like nine days. Wow. And um, the structures that they build are millions of dollars, some of them. like They just build these wooden structures that are worth millions of dollars. And then they just burn them down at wow. the end of it. Yeah, so there's these a wooden temple. The man that burns is a the icon uh, like of the whole event, and um, the people, the original founders, Crimson Rose, the lady that was the co-founder, she ends up torching it on Saturday, and there's a temple that burns on the Sunday. But basically, you're going to this place that's like you're on an, another planet with sixty five thousand people, and everything that you're accustomed to is different. Uh, you know, you have to make sure you get there, pack properly. There's a survival guide. There's sandstorms, the, the weather fluctuates significantly. There's a survival guide. So we're going down there and you basically have to survive in pretty much like Mars conditions for uh, the seven days in this completely strange, abnormal world. They have like $2 million art cars. Like imagine someone bought a super yacht and put wheels on it. And there's parties on a super yacht going through the desert. Like this is an average occurrence stuff that happens every year. People will just put up like a rock climbing wall in the middle of the desert. And it's such a big, um, to cross it by foot takes you hours. And there's thousands of camps that are focusing on giving free stuff away and different experience where, whether it's great cocktails, whether it's food, saw a post of a guy who's bringing all like hundreds of pounds of the finest candy from around the world. And he's going to be walking around offering your favorite candy. So, and it's just all free from that perspective. You just got to buy a ticket and show up. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'll love to hear about what, what it was like uh, from your personal experience. So we think back the last four and a half years, what, what big progress have you made, Michael, in, in your journey? Yeah, there's a lot of different aspects of life that I talk about in my book. You know, the mental, you have the physical, you have the familial, the social, you have your vocational, financial, and you have your spiritual areas. And we can talk a bit about those, but across all areas have dramatically improved. And from my perspective, it's all about kind of understanding where you are and the roadmap of where you'd like to go. And then on the way there, you're trying to identify what's working and what's not working. So for physical body, for example, you know, back in the day, I was significantly overweight. I said, this isn't working. And then I started reading up to it. What, what would it look like if it was working? I'd be a certain body fat percentage, potentially I'd have a certain amount of strength. And all these things are, are pretty measurable. You right. can take a look at, okay, if I want to be, uh, have a six pack, we're looking at single digit body fat. If I want to have strength, there's metrics for how much can you lift compared to your body weight. So there's all these types of things. And then you look into the calories, the macronutrients, the micronutrients, and you can come up with a pretty great plan and then act on that plan. And then you get advanced. You can start doing your blood work, your hormone testing, and continually measuring that with someone who's more progressive in health. Because a lot of the medical doctors we have here, they might see something that's off the charts in a negative way and say, let's just measure it in two years. Right. Um, you know, you don't have any reason to have a heart attack if you're in your 30s or 20s. So um, a massive amount of lipids in your system doesn't really matter now. But you could have a genetic disposition and everyone dies at 22 in your in your family, but they're just right. going to say, well, based on the averages, we don't care about this until 45. So that's, that's like physical, spiritual, what does spiritual look like for you? Everybody's different. For some people, it means going to church every single Sunday, reading the Bible every single day, and being connected to God. Other people, it's maybe dancing or going on hikes or whatever the case may be, singing, musical instruments, um, doing yoga. So everyone has a certain practice and you can find out what is optimal for you based on asking yourself, um, when did I feel most spiritual in my life? Mm -hmm. So for me, I have certain moments where I feel the most awakened, the most present, the most blissful and most in awe. And for some people can just be looking above at a canopy of stars on a mountaintop and be like, whoa, I'm so insignificant, but this is such a deep moment for me. Right. You know, we're just spinning on a piece of rock flying through space time and we're a bunch of evolved monkeys, really. And this moment is incredible, right? Right. And uh, yeah, that's the spirituality. Mental, it's like if you were optimal in your mindset, what would that look like? And um, as I was writing the book, I had to come up with this question. And um, I was basically training for an Ironman, which is one of the hardest triathlon events in the world. You're swimming 3.8 kilometers, you're biking 182 kilometers, then you're running a full marathon, 42.4 kilometers. And I was training in uh, a wind, a snowstorm in the middle of winter, doing like a 20K. And I, I was thinking about this question as I was running, like, what would mental toughness look like? And I said, well, this would be a great example of mental toughness. Sure. I'm running in a windstorm, but it's not necessarily just mental toughness. It's the ability to be resilient as well. So as I'm running down the sidewalk, I said, you know, it'd be crazy if I could basically get hit with a bunch of slush and water and snow by a bus or a car. And instead of freaking out, being like, that guy was an asshole. He could have just gone to the other lane. I'd be totally okay with it. I would laugh it off like a Buddha. 
Right. And no word of a lie, I'm, I'm I'm going down and I literally get hit with a bunch, a bus drives by me. I get massive amounts of slush, get soaking wet and I start laughing it off. Right. And uh, that was what I would see as a, a beautiful mindset. Right. Right. You have um, familial, you have a great relationships with your family. They can be tough, um, you know, especially if you have verbally or physically abusive parents, but it's coming to peace with your family's dynamic, I find. Right. Um, vocationally, you want to be doing something that you wake up and you're excited about, something that brings deep meaning into your life. And um, I would say with your social life, you want to be around people that inspire you and make you a better person. And then with finances, you want to have financial control and independence in your life. You want to be able to do what you want, when you want, all the time. Right. So, you know, I, I've read your book, uh, Michael, and I thought it was awesome. It, it's like, how long did it take you to like, it, it feels like it was just so much fact finding and data gathering to create this synthesis of all these, you know, sort of, you know, huge areas of, of, of thought and that, that you just broke down all these different areas. How long did it take you or how long have you been yeah, really committed it, to personal development? And then how long did it take you to write the book? Yeah, it took me over a decade. Okay. And it started out as kind of like an itch. I was, I, I, I found myself stating things that were untrue. Mm -hmm. And then people that I, I'm just kind of parroting off something I've heard from somebody. And, you know, uh, over 10 years ago, internet wasn't as good. We didn't have smartphones. We can fact check everything as fast. Yeah. Um, basically, I found myself kind of really valuing proper information, especially yeah. when someone says, hey, that's not true. Then we look it up and find out it's not true. Then I, I don't look good. And, yeah. uh, and then I'm like, well, how do I not like, why is it that I'm repeating things that people have told me and it's not true? That's strange. So right. I want to start building a database of things that are true. I want to have uh, a look it up with peer-reviewed research, and I want to reference it. So if ever it's proven wrong or it changes, then it could be modified. Right. And I was doing it for me because I'm very curious on how how I can grow in a way that's like based on on facts, not just someone's opinion. So mm -hmm. I started doing a, a ton of research, and then. I, around the seven year mark going on and off, I just got really irritated that I haven't finished the book. Okay. And this is a process that most people will do. They're like, I can write a book. Um, I've written papers and stuff like that. But they say when you get about 98% done of, of the book, you're about 50% left. Yeah. And it's true because to be like completely finalized, you're like, yeah, I'm done this and editing's done. And then you can't go back and be like, well, let me just add that. Let me change that. Yeah. So um, I sat down, I was super committed. And I said, this book is, is it's, you know, it's going to be the death of me unless I finish this book now. And the majority of books don't get completed. That gets started, started to be, for sure. to be published. Like most books are in the graveyard right now. And um, I just didn't want that to be me. And I made a commitment to doing that. So what that commitment looked like was waking up at five or six every morning and writing for two to four hours every morning before work. Right. Until it was completed. Right. And I thought I would like at that much hours, I should be done in like six months, 12 months, no later than 18 months. But then you keep finding more stuff. And then the book ended up being over 121,000 words. Yeah. Um, the average personal development book is around 30 to 50. Right. Um, so this was like multiple books into one. And um, it was a great experience. At As I was writing it, it was kind of like gosh, dang, this book, I can't wait to be done it. And then I was kind of like resenting it for taking so long and taking my focus out. 
But then I realized it was one of the most powerful tools and exercises I've done because you can ask me pretty much anything about life. And I have an opinion that I've thought about daily and struggled with every morning about for a very long time. So you can say like, what's your opinion on like one of the, the deepest of topics like uh, moral relativity, for example, and uh, duality, right from wrong. And I will have a pretty solid answer. Um, so yeah, the, it was a long process. Do I recommend anyone write a book? Um, I don't know. It's, it's too complicated of a question. It could take a lot of time. And a lot of the time, the uh, response you get is a lot lower than what you would like. So sometimes yes. even like your wife, your friends don't even read it because yeah. you're competing against some of the best books in the world. And also your writing might not be as good as the best books being written by the, you know, the publishing yeah. houses like Penguin Random House. Yeah. So the, it could be a massive amount of diminishing returns. But for me, it was about personally writing it, getting my thoughts clear mm -hmm. and uh, just just doing it for me and not necessarily needing it to be a number one New York bestseller. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really powerful. And, and uh, when we do things that are really powerful, a lot of times that or isn't that just really just going to take an enormous amount of time and commitment. And, you know, it's kind of like, that's just, that's just a real challenge to do that. So, 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 um, and it changes you, right? So, you know, and, and to me, you know, again, there's just been such monstrous changes in you from, you know, when we first met to, to who you are now, it's incredible, the development that you've had. But when you, when you think of uh, our audience of leaders, you know, what parts of the book do you think uh, that, that, that we really should talk about and dig into and to, to share value for that? I think if you can master this one component that I'm about to mention, your whole life will be incredible. And that mm -hmm. is if you can master the, the mental, the mentality, the mindset of yourself. Mm -hmm. This is the biggest, like mental illness is the probably the number one, like the biggest problem in the world right now up there with climate change and everything else, because you have pretty much everybody is on medications for depression, anxiety. Uh, there's opioid crises and stuff like that. So you, you, you kind of wonder if you can solve that, where the external environment doesn't affect your internal state, that is the number one thing you can do, I think, mm -hmm. because you're just going to be happier and you're yeah. going to be at peace with whatever's going on. You have new, news articles of pandemics and wars going on. And if you can just be like, yeah, that's cool. Life will go on. I'm happy. Um, I think if you can nail that, everything else is easy. What strategies do you have? that you know you can share that's going to make a difference for people yeah i think there's something that has been coming up and i don't think this is in in the book but like sankaras is a, i haven't looked this up and i haven't checked the peer-reviewed i don't even know if the term's right but i've heard this term come up quite a bit in the last couple of weeks and it's it's basically this idea that um something that's not yet healed uh, can trigger you right. so if you've ever been in a, in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden they're getting angry and you know for sure that what you said had nothing to do with the amount of emotional response they got. Yes. Yeah. It's because something's there that they haven't yet healed or acknowledged. Yeah. And it, it's kind of in their primal reactionary mind. Yes. Right. So I think people, there's a lot of people that uh, require a lot of healing that they might not acknowledge. I know you've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work. We've gone to workshops around whether it's inner child stuff um just regular behavioral stuff that could be worked out with a counselor or a therapist 
If you can identify those and heal them, you'll be a lot less reactionary and at peace. And I think that's super great. And, and, and also, it's just about not being so resistant to reality. Because if I had a, um, I talked about this in my book, but basically COVID happened, the government of Canada said, if you don't come home by next Sunday, we're going to put you in a hotel and you're going to be fined $5,000. Right. And I was like, well, I, I wasn't planning to get hit with a $5,000 fine. And I don't even think this is fair. Yes. And, you know, screw our government. It's been going on for a year, a year and a half or whatever. And for you to force me back on my will when I should have rights about where I can be, this doesn't make any sense, right? So I start resisting reality of what's happening. I call the Expedia. I had five fight, flight cancellations. Right. And uh, they're just because they're not coming into Costa Rica anymore. They're not coming out. Yeah. So basically all the flights for the whole week get canceled. And I'm stuck in Costa Rica with an impending $5,000 fine. And I'm not happy, right? Yeah. Um, so I call the Expedia guy and I start yelling at him like this, like it's your yeah. fault, right? And, yeah. and it's just like, it's not this guy's fault. And he understands, he sees that yeah. I just got canceled. It's like, yeah. you got a new flight canceled. You got a new flight. So he's like, he's looking at the data and he's like, Michael, I totally get it. You got five flights canceled on you. <laughs> I, I can totally understand why you're upset, but I'm yeah. not the flight carriers. We're mm -hmm. Expedia. We're just a platform. And I'm like, you know what, man? I'm so sorry. It's totally yeah. right. I'm so frustrated with all the stuff that's been going on. And anyways, I accept it. And what yeah. ends up happening is I have the most magical week in Costa Rica and it ends up all working out. I ended up yeah. seeing my, my wife ended up uh, surfing on a wave for the first time. And I saw her face when I was out there and it was the most beautiful moment. We ended up bumping into friends randomly on a beach that we'd known from uh, Ottawa, where we're from, mm -hmm. and that uh, we go out for this beautiful dinner. And we have yeah. seven days that are incredible. Yeah, And it's moments like that. There's so many moments in your life where you're kind of, upset with reality and pretty much a hundred percent of negative emotion is resisting reality. Yeah. Resisting what's true. Yeah, exactly. So if you can resist, uh, if you resist what's true or reality, then if you can just accept everything, you're going to be in a great position for life. Uh, cause you'll always be, um, flexible and resilient. And on the other side, I heard this amazing quote and, um, I was saying to somebody, I don't really like the idea of flowing through life. Like I'm more of like, I more kind of like manipulate my path and just like force the path. But um, I wasn't really enjoying the terminology of mm -hmm. like forcing paths because yeah. you, you want to make it look easier. You want it to feel easy and force doesn't have a really good, it's kind of rigid, right? In the terminology. So I heard this quote about um, forging your own path. And it was like people that flow through life are are basically just on a raft in the middle of an ocean with massive like 40 foot waves and they're like i'm just going to flow with these waves and uh you know it might not be safe it might not be good but they're being controlled by the waves but when you i, I want to be like flowing through life but i also want to have a motor or a sail so i can pick the direction right the waves the waves are still there they're still guiding me in a certain direction but i control ideally where i end up so even if life's events push me in a direction um i can still get back to where i want to be so i think it's important not only to be non-resistant to reality accept reality appreciate it completely if you can get to that spot but also know where you want to go because if you don't have a target you're not going to hit it yeah and when we say accept reality or michael says accept reality it's it's this is just true. Michael was stuck facing a five thousand dollar fine 
um, you know, you know, sorry, in Costa Rica. And so he was making up, uh, he was, he was stuck. He was restricted. He had, you know, instead of, oh, I'm in Costa Rica. This was my plan. I'm going to enjoy it. You know, and so they're just, then there are actions to take and then how do I get home? And then let's go work on that or whatever there is, but, but it's acceptance comes first before we can take action. That's an important, uh, important thing uh, and gives us so much more freedom. So I love that. Uh, I've seen one thing that you talk quite a bit about friendship. And so friendship is really, really important for a lot of people, but especially in our 20s, I think. And then our lives start to change. And it's like, you know, how do I choose friends? And then maybe there's an older friend and, and they're not quite as aligned with my values. And, and I know, you know, Matt Anders, who you just mentioned, he was a friend who you met in this program. And then, you know, now, despite the fact that you live halfway across the country, you guys talk all the time, see each other, do courses together, et cetera, and are really, really close. So how do you look at friendship and how do you, how would you guide our leaders to sort of think about their friends? Um, Cause I think it's so important, uh, the key friends in your life. Yeah, I talk about this idea of uh, a relationship audit. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're in early stages of life, it matters, but it it matters. It doesn't matter less, but I find you can have friends in university and have beers with them and you're just focused on school and maybe business, maybe a job, but it could change drastically where you're headed. But I find as you mature and you get really clear on your values, you got to make really harsh decisions sometimes. But um, for me, it, it was less impactful who I hung up, hung out with in kindergarten or high school, or, you know, it, it didn't really matter as much. But as you're trying to pick your path, you need to be influenced. And if you can pick it in, in grade school or middle school, great, because then you're going to be that much further along. But I think the relationship audit's interesting. Um, one question that I would be thinking about is, in the last year, writing down everyone you hung out with or talked to, checking your who you're talking to on your phone, your text messages, check out your Facebook messages or your WhatsApp messages, all the social media and all the people you've been interacting, and then identify, did they give you more energy or less energy? Because you, you'll know immediately, I, hey, I went to this party, I had a really fun time with that person, but that person made fun of me. They were really negative, very gossipy. It, it kind of made me feel lesser. And uh, I didn't have as much joy as when I'm laughing with my other buddy. Right. So that that's one area. So then you'll notice that if you group people in different categories, that there's some people that give you tons of energy, some people that kind of give you neutral energy, and some people that just make you a lot happier and a lot more energetic. And um, that's super important. So once you have clarity on that, um, I talk about in the book, the different types of levels. So from negative two to infinity um, is a friend that you're uncertain about, and they're actually worse off than like an enemy because somebody that is kind of uh, somebody that you're unsure about, you're more likely to think about them more often. So let's say there's a friend in your circle and uh, you can get sometimes good feelings from them, but also bad feelings from them. You're kind of uncertain about the friendship. You're like, oh, I kind of like him. I've known him since high school, but at the same time, uh, every time we hang out, there, there's some weird stuff going on. I don't really feel, and then you're thinking about it, you're ruminative thinking. So these people will take the most energy and they'll also cause the most damages, even more than an enemy. Right. So uh, they're called ambivalent friends is what I talk about them. And there's a lot of research uh, done on these types of people and even in the workforce as well. So you want to get rid of those as fast as possible because they actually cause the most damage. 
Um, enemies are very easy. These are just people that are out to make your life worse. Then there's neutral friends. And then eventually you move into pleasurable friends and, and friends with utility. Right. So this could be someone like uh, you go out for a beer or whatever with somebody and they're pleasurable. But then if you ever quit drinking, you never see them again. Right. And maybe they're like, oh, why are you being a quitter? Yeah. Um, and you're like, hey, alcohol doesn't serve me anymore. And they're like, well, screw you then. I never want to see you again. You're like, that's weird. Like, I thought yeah. we were friends, but apparently not. It's only related to the pleasure. Right. And then after that, you have utility, which is uh, maybe you have a neighbor and uh, they take your garbage out or they look after your property when you're traveling. But if you ever move, you never talk again. Hey, leaders. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. As we approach and surpass 300 episodes, well over 95% of the leaders that we have interviewed have been alumni of the Student Works Management Program. It has been an honor to participate in their development over the years. Starting now and only for the fall months, we will be on campus at universities and colleges in Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you are interested in being a leader in our program or know someone who does, please go to the show notes and hit Student Works and get sent to a landing page to apply. There is a bold Student Works that you can hit to go to a landing page to apply. Thanks so much. Back to the show. And this happens, these, these areas happen uh, very frequently when there's a major change in life. So right when you leave university or leave the program um, or anything like that, or you move to a new city, these people will tend to fade away. Or when you have, let's say, a newborn baby, and now you can't go to the pub. Now you can't go to these, these things where you're getting useful stuff from people. So immediately you lose like all your friends and you're like, that's weird. As soon as I had a kid, I lost all my friends. Well, it's because the things you're doing aren't aligning one with values, but also with what you're doing with your time. And then lastly, you have uh, eudaimonic friends uh, or um, basically you can call it whatever you like, soul buddies. And right. these are the people that are useful, pleasurable, and they're also virtuous. And before that, it's just virtue. So someone you're inspired by, but right. then you get levels one and two on the positive side. You get someone who's useful, pleasurable, as well as virtuous. So those are the people that you want to be friends with. And a lot of the times you might not be able to get these types of friends because you're not a very referable person or you're not a good person. And this is what happened to me as I had a lot of success when I was in my younger years, I had a big ego and I was a bit of a narcissist very self-centered and I was distancing people. So people that were highly virtuous would not want to be around me because I, I wasn't the best person I could be. So I had to transform myself into a good person. And eventually you might notice that you'll have like what I call a referability score. Right. So if we're talking and someone says, hey, do you know anyone like, like Chris Thompson? I will say, absolutely. Chris Thompson is exactly who you want to meet with. But if you were a bad person that causes damage that uh, is a con artist or something, I wouldn't even think about your name because I wouldn't want to damage the relationship or harm anyone like the guy asking. So right. you want to be getting your referability score up by doing good things and creating tons of value to people. And you also want to audit your, your, uh, your friends and you want to identify how do you get better friends. And then uh, you, you also just want to understand your values 
and write a people plan for the each goal you're trying to get to. So if, if for example, um, you're trying to do, let's say, an Ironman, you're going to focus your attention on who can help you get there, uh, the people that can help you get towards the goal. So it's called a people plan. So right. um, you and you want to basically identify all of your values, all your personality stuff, and then you want to go to a North Star goal, whatever that is. And you want to work with people that are helping you get to that goal. And right. you want to help identify people that can get other people to their goal. Right. And this is something I talk about in the book. It's called the meta game. So there was this incredible study. Uh, a guy should have got a Nobel Prize on it. But basically, there were um, his name, his name's uh, Jack Pansep. And he had a, a small rat and a larger rat. And he would put these people into like a battle dome. And, and basically, they would go and they would fight. And if one rat was bigger than the other, what would end up happening is the bigger rat would win 100% of the time. So if they only played one game, the big rat would win and they'd never play again. But if they had to play multiple games, the smaller rat would not play with the bigger rat unless he won 30% of the time. So the, the big rat would have to lose 30% of the time just for the metagame to keep going, which was having fun and yeah. being playful. So this idea is, what is the metagame? The metagame is to try and, you know, we, we're living in this type of, like it's a simulation kind of, and it's like, what game do you want to play? Right. And, and you want to know the game that you're playing and you want to play it well, and you want to help as many people play that game. And, 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 you know, obviously the people that are affecting if someone just like, Hey, I want to cause a bunch of harm to people. Hey, that doesn't work for the overall meta game. That's we're of trying to, you know, overall helping people flourish in their potential with this meta game. Right. Right. Cause what, and one of the things um, people could be listening to what you're saying and very self-interested you know, okay, and this is, you know, you get better friends, et cetera, et cetera. And I know one of the things that you didn't say and that you do do is you're a really good friend to people, right? Like, so why don't you talk about that aspect of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, the metagame portion of it is is really trying to identify what are people working on and how can you provide a ton of value to them? So um, it's just like, hey, look, what are you working on? And they're like, I, I want to be rich or I want to be fit. I want to have more peace in my mind. I want to yeah. find a relationship and you're going to want to help them get that. And you say, look, I know so-and-so people that can do that, or here's a great book that really helped me, or here's a personal development course that really helped me. Or look, I'm, I'm an expert in this field. How about we jump on a call and talk about it, or I'll drive down and see you and we can yeah. hang out <laughs> for several hours and we can, we can work through this or jump on a call or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I wanted everyone to hear that. And I know that to be true. Michael's been a big help to me a number of occasions, etc. And I consider him a great friend. And um, it's, it's, again, it's kind of, you know, be the best person you can be so you can be the best helper, right? Like, like, I, I'm a big believer in networking is really going into every relationship with, well, how, how can I help here? How can I make a difference here? What can I do? And then, of course, that's just natural with the law of reciprocity, people coming back and what can I do for you? How can I help out? What, you know, et cetera. It's just, it's, that's, that's just a great space to live in. One thing I know that comes up a lot, Michael, and what, and I'm wondering how you've discovered this is, okay, all of a sudden I met this new group of people or these, these, this group of people, and I'm moving towards them. What do I do with the people 
who may be my old friends and they maybe they're not working as well. How do you how do you deal with that, Michael? Yeah, you got a couple options. Um, some like I'll I'll be frank. A lot of the time, if you're trying to have a big goal, you might have to shut off some old friends that are not serving you, and especially the ones that are causing harm for your overall life. I think right. that's extremely important. And, and this is some people don't like talking about this. And sometimes even you you got to shed people that are good people in general that are just are just not aligned. Like I have a lot of old friends that I keep in touch with. If if they need me, they call me. And uh, I, I help them out. And um, it, there, there's, there's this idea of limited association. If you have someone who's completely toxic, maybe you don't spend time with them every day talking for an hour, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you see them uh, during the holiday break or something like that. Or you right. have a, a one camping trip a year or something that you plan and you have fun there. And then the rest of your time, you're listening to podcasts that help you grow. So you basically make the decision. Some people, they, they value friendship so much and they never want to lose any friends, no matter what, even if it is toxic to them. And that's great because for them, if they value friendship so much, they're okay with the the adverse effects, then they're doing their purpose because right. it's all about understanding the hierarchy of what you want and then not judging people on what they want. Like if someone's hierarchy of values, hey, I just want to you know, eat chips and play video games all day and every day. It's like, awesome. I get it. Like that sounds like a lot of fun, you, you know? Right short-term pleasure, not for me. Uh, you know, I don't feel good if I'm gaining weight and I don't feel actualized and then I'll start to get depressive moods if right. I'm not sleeping well. So for, for me, I wouldn't want to be doing that, but I'm not right. going to judge them being like, oh, you're not like me. You don't have my values. So therefore you're wrong. It's like everyone has, you know, we're on, uh, we're on this world to experience what is naturally coming to us is interesting. Like I'm interested in a lot of random stuff. And I find that your your interests find you, and even they might not be ideal for what you want them to be, but you're naturally drawn into something and you can't help yourself but do it, whether that's a musical instrument, whether that's a topic, someone might be on YouTube and all of a sudden they're down a rabbit hole about like primal living and how to make fires with like wood and stuff like that and fishing. And they're like, I never really was interested. I'm a city person, but I find myself watching hours of content of this very specific topic. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think that's, I think it's fascinating. I think, I think you've, you've done well sort of pulling the little pieces of friendship apart and how to, how to think about it. And I really love the last piece you put in was, was just a spirit of a a lack of judgment, right? Just, you know, and one thing to, for, for all our leaders to, to check in on is, is again, when we judge people again, negatively or with, with harshness, that's, that's a really, not a great space to be in. Because likely we're going to judge ourselves the same way. So, so again, what sort of a, what, how can we give somebody the best possible interpretation? And again, you know, again, as you mentioned, everybody's goals are, or, 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 or of course, everybody's goals are different, right? Like if you really look at all the goals we have, no one would have all the different goals and intentions that we have. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. Michael likes to do that differently. Is that neat? You know, rather, rather than, oh, well, I can't believe it. Why would he want, why would he want to do an Ironman? That's so, yeah. so abusive to your body. Who knows what people might think, right? Rather than, oh, that's really fascinating. And that's a way better space, I think, to spend, spend our life. Yeah. And one important thing is also to understand personality. Understanding personality was a huge help for me. Everyone has a different system that they like. I like the big five. Some people are Myers-Briggs. I think the big five is the most accurate. There's the Enneagrams and tons of other ones that uh, people are thinking about these days. But what's helpful for me in that is you might bump into somebody 
and they could be completely disagreeable. So everything you say, even if you just say what they say, they might disagree with what you said after you just repeated what they said. And I've met people like that. And before I was very confused. You know, you you agree with what someone says and be like, no, that's not true. And I'm like, I, I just repeated what you said, right? And when I see personalities, I see them on a spectrum. And it's basically you have uh, by percentile from zero to 100. If somebody steps in the room and they're a 0.1 percentile, that means in a room of like a thousand people, they're like the most disagreeable. Um, and you get these people, you get yes. these people because in every room of a thousand, there's one person that's highly disagreeable and they disagree with everything, even themselves all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you could look at that and judge them and be like, what the heck is wrong with this person disagreeing with everything? Or you can see like, wow, he's extremely on the spectrum of highly disagreeable. Yes. And there's also people that are extremely impolite as well. Yeah. There's people that are extremely extroverted. There's yeah. people that are extremely introverted. There's people that are really low in conscientiousness. Yeah. And if you're aware that you have high conscientiousness, you will naturally judge them as a part of your personality. And that's okay. Like we're, yeah. we're not trying to judge people, but if somebody just keeps doing something that it's like, you just threw garbage on the ground four times in a row after someone told you not to do that inside a house, it's yeah. kind of like, Hey, or, or you keep putting muddy shoes inside someone's house and they told you four times to take them off. It's hard not to be like, Hey man, what are you doing? But they might just be extremely low on conscientiousness and yeah. just seeing that as what it is. Oh, this is just like a puzzle piece. There's just, yeah. there's a soul that's just very different than how I experience the world. And that's okay. Yeah. I love that perspective. It's, it's, you know, it's like that subjective viewpoint that you have, or I have different, unique, you and, you know, again, we have a lot of similarities in the viewing the world and a bunch of differences and, and that's okay. Right. And, and again, seeing, seeing the power in that, and then also uh, seeing the power in the different personality types, what they can give you, right. You know, again, a powerful, somebody who's powerfully disagreeable, well, they can be powerful leaders by being powerfully disagreeable, right. Or powerful in the world, right. You know, with that, with that power. Yeah. One that's very interesting is uh, neuroticism. It's one of the big five. Yeah. And that one for me in relationships, it's it's like impossible for me to be with somebody that's extremely high in neuroticism right. because they're going to be worrying about the past, present and future all the time. And I'm also like one percentile. So in a room of a hundred people, I'm the least worried person about everything. Knowing that it's like, if I'm, if I'm going to catch a flight, like I'm not worried about much, I'm going to get on the flight. Like I always do, but being around highly neurotic people, it's like, we have to get there four hours in advance. What if the whole world melts down? What if there's a forest fire? What if the road collapses due to like a sinkhole? What if the Uber breaks down and the whole platform breaks down? And like, what if the grid goes off? And I'm like, you're thinking about way too many things that I just never think about. And it's just hard for me to even relate to how many things you're worried about because i'm not worried about much at all like um so for me that one's a hard one but then then the way to counteract that is to take it and go which areas am i blindsided to that being an extremely good thing to have in the world and because you always want to be uh balancing polarity if you have any towards certain things and one area is like imagine somebody was back in the day let's say in uh, south america and they're like i have this vision of something invisible coming and wiping out 90 percent of the population and it's going to be coming on 
some wooden godlike structure on the ocean. And people are like, what are you talking about? Right. And it it happens to be the Spanish flu that wiped out 90% of people. Right. And maybe if they listen to that crazy person by their standards, one, there's no such thing as an invisible germ back then. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. So there's always benefits to each personality and they're all serving a, a greater purpose. I find. Yeah. And especially if you, if we look at, you know, as leaders uh, building companies, you want people in your business who are, you know, more neurotic, right? Worried about, you know, well, what, what's the impact of the economy? What's the, what, what, what if the supplier doesn't deliver? What if, you know, all these different types of concerns, because they are, how do we build support structures so that that won't happen? Or sorry, when that happens, we got a plan. And we have this lawyers, plan, we have that lawyers, plan. lawyers, lawyers yes. are the best. My dad's a lawyer. He's yeah. super highly neurotic. And I, yeah. every time I'm, I, and I've actually changed my, my natural being is a very low neuroticism, but I've actually yeah. been leaning hard on my, my dad's background as neurotic in order to reduce risk on major real estate development projects because it's so important to protect yourself because if you're so optimistic, you can get wiped out. So I put on that neurotic hat all the time and I just, let's think about 40 things that can go wrong. And if you notice a lot of the insurance claims, uh, now they include in case of a global pandemic, we will not cover the stuff because everyone got hit so hard. No one was expecting a pandemic. Now all the insurance policies, they say, if another pandemic happens, we don't cover you. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, well, Michael, I know we grabbed a whole bunch of time with you tonight and beyond our time. So thanks again for your generosity. Any last thing that you want to share with our leaders before we uh, we let you jump up and, and enjoy your evening? Yeah, I would say that most people in life know when they're doing something that's not aligned with their highest self. Okay. If you were to think about a moment like, what am I doing right now? that I know is not good for me long-term. There's something that comes up in everybody. What I believe that is, it's like that soul whispering, that that higher self, that whatever you want to call it, eudaimonia, that Holy Spirit, that light, that energy, uh, your guide, whatever it is. And we all have these in us. And the faster you listen to it, the more serendipitous your life will be. And your life just gets way better. You know, it's like most people, especially when you're long, younger, it's like, maybe I should stop drinking till five in the morning with Jack and never going to do that again. Then that next night you're blackout with Jack again. Like that's yeah. not helpful, right? Yeah. You, you want to be, and you can be like conscientious. I'm going to party hard for the next year, but then after I'm going to get my life together in the next five years, but you want to be listening to that inner soul you got going on because it's guiding you to some excellent place. And if you start listening to it, you'll end up in this incredible, beautiful journey where everything is just happening for you and not to you. Love it. That's so wise. So, uh, Michael, thank you again for your generosity. Uh, you have a uh, fantastic uh, evening. And, uh, and again, we will connect real soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Talk soon. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes 
to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.